All right, this is First and Moose. I'm Connor Taylor. With me is Mark Schoenster, as always. It was a hectic week, week two, but an exciting one. It felt I, – I enjoyed this week more than week one overall. And how did you feel, Mark? I know your predictions went overall very well. Yeah, I uh, went 13-1 and one yesterday with my picks. The only one I got wrong was the one with my favorite team in it where I picked the Colts to lose, and they won. So you know what? It was a good game to get wrong. But I was so close. I should have just had more faith in my boys. Uh, but the week was so crazy that Connor Taylor had to change his recording location because it was just that crazy that he is, uh, as I'm looking at it, I guess most of you uh, won't see this unless you watch uh, a YouTube clip. He is currently in his car, which is a interesting new place to, to record, to say the least. Yeah, I'm at, I'm at the top of a, a parking garage, and it's an interesting place, but I think it's going to work. And I'm, I'm excited to record because there's a lot, of, a lot of good football stuff. But also, I guess we can start out on a sad note with the amount of injuries yeah. that happened this weekend. And it was not good for a lot of teams. And, I mean, you got Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Nick Bosa, Drew Locke, Corlin Sutton, Tyrod Taylor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that, that's not even half the list. It's, it's insane amount. And it's people that matter, too. Yeah, well, you know, the big thing is it's a lot like, and hear, hear me out here if you, you pick up on the logic before I finish this, this thought, it's a lot like preseason week two when you get a lot of those torn ACLs, a lot of those no-contact injuries where, you know, before the season even starts, you lose an important player for the year. And, well, in case you're picking up on where I'm going here, it's week two, the second game. You've gotten one physical game under your belt, but then you have to turn around and do it again next week. You're not accustomed yet to the whole the whole physicality of a week of game planning and then the week of playing against other guys. And it results in people just having freak incidents, having bad luck, people hitting incorrectly, all that kind of stuff that typically happens week two of the preseason, but instead is happening week two of the regular season since it's only the second game they've played so far. Um, it's tra- it's tragic, and it, it happens in football, but you do hate to see so many players go down. Uh, thoughts go to those guys whose seasons are ending, like Nick Bosa, like Saquon Barkley. I just got the news today that Colts safety Malik Hooker is the second Colts player on the team to tear his Achilles and is out for the year, so that's also terrible news. Um, but, like, shout-out to that 49ers team. They got mauled despite winning so comfortably. They just got – absolutely torn to shreds in the health department and they have to go and play in that same stadium this next week. And they've already issued some complaints about the turf there. And uh, hopefully that uh, this game against the giants this upcoming week is not as unfortunate as uh, the one on Sunday was. Yeah, it's definitely going to rock the NFC West because it's a, it's a difficult division and the 49ers don't need injuries when they haven't, you know, they've already dropped one game and it's, it's not a time that they can, they can withstand these injuries. And there's a lot of teams that can't withstand the injuries that honestly happen. Like the Panthers. I mean, their team is their offense is Christian McCaffrey and that's going to hurt them tremendously. But I, I found an interesting thing uh, during the 2011 lockout. So no preseason games, uh, JC Treader, the Brown center of uh, the NFL PA president, noted in a letter 
in a letter before the 2020 season that injuries increased by 25% in 2011, with Achilles injuries more than doubling and hamstring strains increasing by 44%. So it's not that it's unexpected by any means. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, it's, it's not expected, but you wish it didn't have to happen. And yeah, that's one of obviously. the things that sucks because it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the who makes the playoffs and who doesn't. Yeah, I mean, the, the big thing you have to kind of look for is that that's how football is, though. You lose players during a football season. And obviously, as the, years, or as the weeks go on, the injuries become more uh, week by week because players just accumulate injuries throughout the year like everyone by the time you get to november december everyone's playing hurt that's just how football goes everyone's ailing some sort of injury but at the beginning of the year it's it's almost like a precedent if you want to think about it in a better sense as far as the competitive side of things it's almost like every year you just kind of have a dice rolled and certain players are just plucked out of the season and this nfl season is just going to be a story without these pieces on these teams who is the best team in the NFL when you take away these guys? Because if you look at it from any other perspective, it's just depressing. It, because if you could think about what would this 49ers defense look like this season uh, if Nick Bosa had played all year? What would this Broncos team look like? And there's there's a pretty upsetting thing for the Broncos, I, I think. Even though he's not out for the year, he's out for a couple of weeks, this entire season – is about developing Drew Locke as a quarterback. And if he's not yes. playing, then your main mission of the season is just gone because you know you're not a playoff team, especially without Von Miller now. And if you don't get the chance to develop your franchise guy because you know he needs some help, then it almost seems like it's pointless. So the idea, though, going back to what I was saying earlier about that sort of like dice roll, is that you kind of just have to go with it and go, all right, well, Obviously, our team would be better if these guys were playing, but this is the president. This is the, this is the story of our season is we have to play without these guys. Can we live up to that task? Because just about every team every year has to deal with important pieces just being gone for a whole, whole season. Yeah, and I think speaking of Nick Bosa, we have some breaking news. Okay. The Niners are finalizing a deal, a one-year deal with veteran defensive end Ziggy Ansah. Okay. So there's obviously, I don't believe he can. Nick Bosa is a all pro type of defensive end. Oh, yeah. Pass rusher. oh yeah. But Ziggy Ansah has highlight moments. He's able to, you know, come up big in certain plays and he disappears. But I think that's, you know, the, the Niners are making a move there that's saying that, we're, hey, we're still going to try this out. We're not giving up on our defensive season. And yeah. And if we want, I mean, Ziggy Ansah has made some great plays throughout his career. He he will definitely be another good piece, and he will benefit from playing with a lot of talent around him in San Francisco, sort of my instant analysis. Also, if we want to talk about breaking news, it looks like uh, former WVU linebacker Bruce or Irvin has feared to have torn his ACL as well. So mm. we're talking about injuries. It feels like that's topical, and that's unfortunate for a guy, especially for us two being West Virginia students, to see a guy from West Virginia fall. But – I mean, overall, I think the, the thing you have to – in order to make the best of this is just you just have to accept that it happens and hope that these guys who have torn their ACL, torn their Achilles, have gotten these terrible injuries can come back and play football again. 
the science, medical science is getting better. More and more players are coming back and coming back strong. I mean, think about Teddy Bridgewater with the Carolina Panthers. There was a time that he was carted to the emergency room immediately and completely destroyed his ACL. Like it was entirely torn off, like torn apart. And he's back playing great football again. So if we want to think about it positively, there is a route back to football for these guys. Obviously not every single one of them is going to be who they were before this, but you just hope for the best for each of them. Yeah. And I guess moving on from the, the sad news of so many uh, star players going down this weekend. A little, a little bit more sad news, I guess. Maybe if you're an zero and two team, for you to yeah. throw in a little stat for you this year. Even though the playoff format has expanded to seven games, if you're zero and two, you you have about an eleven percent chance of making the playoffs. So that those zero and two teams include the Bengals, Lions, Panthers, Giants, Dolphins, Jets, Eagles, Broncos. Not too shocking. But some 0-2 teams that have playoff aspirations are more in the lines of the Texans, Falcons, and Vikings. I think 0-2 is not a great start for those three teams, and that's not something you want to have happen. Yeah, I think out of those three, the most concerning has got to be the Falcons because the way they've lost has not been good. And we'll talk about more about that Cowboys-Falcons game in a little bit. But I think out of those three teams, that's the one you definitely are really starting to close the door on as far as how they've come out this season opening the gate. Um, the Vikings were probably that middle tier of concern out of those three in the facet that they competed kind of with the Packers and then they did not look good against the Colts. and. I would be concerned about how consistent they can be throughout the season. And you've got some tough teams. You've got a 2-0 and Bears team that you have to play who are going to give you troubles. Is always give Kirk Cousins a fit in the past. And then you've got the Packers again. Uh, you've got – you might be able to knock off the Lions two times, but that's just – they're not going to have the easiest schedule. So you definitely have to be concerned for the Vikings. I think you're not as concerned as the Falcons because I just think there's more talent on this Minnesota team. And I think Mike Zimmer is a better coach by a long shot than uh, drawing a blank on the Falcons head coach right now. Dan Quinn. Um, yeah, Quinn, Dan Quinn. I don't know. I had his face. But <laughs> And then the team I'm the least concerned about is the Texans because the Texans, if you look, they've played the Chiefs and they've played the Ravens, who could be two arguably the best teams in the NFL right now. And, yeah, they got bullied in both those games, but you're in the AFC South, and there are seven playoff spots. So Chiefs. Ravens take those top two seeds in the AFC. You still got five other places to fit yourself into, and you still got all six of your AFC South games to go where anything can happen in those games. And I, I, if I'm the Texans, I'm not worried yet. They did not look good in either of those games. Let's see how they look next week when they're not playing an absolute powerhouse of an opponent. Yeah, I wouldn't be too worried, but it is something that it's just a bad draw basically with yeah. those two yeah. matches we talked about on first and moose live that you don't you don't want to start with those two teams but i mean that i would say i agree with you they're being the least concerned for them even though they looked outmatched i mean what do you expect those are two teams that a lot of people are picking them to make the super bowl yeah yeah but i thought the first game we could talk about was the falcons cowboys and man the Falcons. I do not know how they did it. It was it was one in a thousand uh, games for basically a chance to happen. 
And basically a thousand games, the current, the current way it's made up with 16 games a season takes 62 and a half years for it to happen. And the Falcons franchise have only played 857 games in its entire history. And I mean, they've, they've obviously people are correlating it back to the, the matchup against the, in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. And it's just, they, they blow another, another lead like this. And then another stat I've written down is intern today teams that were, Teams were 440 and 0 when scoring 39 points with zero turnover since 1933. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's so many things that stack against them that seem like how did they do this? How the improbable happened against them? But away from that, Mark, how what what happened to the Falcons on the football field? Well, I mean, they say defense wins championships. And I guess you can go to the opposite end of that and say that no defense is going to lose you every single game you ever are going to play because that Falcons defense forced three turnovers, three fumbles in the first quarter, and they got up to a 20 to zero start over Dallas and then proceeded to be a turnstile, just letting Dak Prescott throw all over creation on them. And so your defense isn't good. And your offense, though, luckily, is continuing to score as they do. They're the Falcons, and they got a lot of offensive weapons. It's Matt Ryan. Bless his heart. And But then even then, with everything that went wrong for the Falcons in this game, for everything they did incorrectly, they still should have won the football game. It all came down to an onside kick where the players did not know the rules. They didn't know the rules or they were too scared to jump on the ball and it pop out. But with so many guys circled around it, it was the most confounding onside kick, the most confounding play I have watched in a really long time. And I've pulled up his name here. Ben Kotwicka, Ben Kotwicka is what I'm guessing is how you pronounce his name, is the special teams coordinator of the Falcons. That's on him. That is entirely his fault because they had the chance to even if you wanted to have one guy fall on one side of the ball, one guy fall on the other side of the ball and make sure it never gets across the line. You had so many ways where you could recover it and you all stood around like four to five Super Bowl Cam Newtons just watching it bounce across the line, waiting for it as if you were the recovering team. That was a misunderstanding of rules by the Falcons special teams and that is entirely on the coaching staff for not running onside kick scenarios enough or not explaining the difference between being the receiving team and being the team kicking. That game should have been over. That game, it wasn't the most brilliant onside kick. It, was a, it wasn't a good kick. Sure, it, it had a weird spin on it that maybe would cause it to squeeze out when you try to grab it, but you had so much time to get on that ball and make sure you got it before the ball crossed the line. Because even if you didn't recover it, if you jumped on it and a cowboy tried to jump on it before it crossed the line, it would have been a penalty. And then it would have been another re-kick and then you would have, it, it, it would have gone the Falcons way. So even though all of this stuff went against them, they still could have won the game if the coaches had done a better job. And I think that is a fireable offense by uh, for Penn Kotwicka's group. And I picked the Cowboys to win that game. You did not. 
and I don't feel like I was correct. <laughs> I don't feel like I got that game right. But I guess I have to think about it from the aspect that the Falcons lost the game and not that the Cowboys won because that's what happened. The, the opportunity to win was there for the Falcons. I mean, there are several opportunities. Julio Jones dropped a touchdown catch that could have won them the game as well. But at that very moment, you had three to four players staring at the victory and none of them knew that they were allowed to jump on the ball or they were too scared to. And it resulted in them coughing it up last second and breaking the hearts of Falcons fans everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it was it was not good. Plain, plain and simple, that onside kick, I was watching it. And I was like, okay, I, I get the Cowboys have stormed back. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll get this pick correct. I mean, unless something crazy happens. And then the, the crazy thing happened. And they, mm-hmm. I was so frustrated watching. I was like, why didn't they, they jump on that ball? And then they, the amount of times they replayed it, too, is every time it got more confusing. I was like, man, like, I mean, every single time, I'm just like, why, why, why did this happen? But I assume those people and that special teams coach will not make that mistake again, hopefully. Hopefully they'll oh, learn from it. <laughs> so. this, is, this is the same Falcons team that I'm just thinking about this now that are masters of recovering onside kicks with Yunwei Koo kicking on the other side. So that even makes it more confusing. And that's just a thought I had right now. Yeah, it's, it's a confusing play. But I don't think it tells, tells too much about – I don't think we learn too much more about the Cowboys or Falcons in this game in all honesty, because it was, it was a weird game where they're coming, coming behind the entire game. I think, and, I think the one thing we can learn is that Dak Prescott stepped up and stayed stepped up the entire game. He threw for 450 yards, no picks. He also had a passing touchdown as well as three sneaks into the end zone. I think this speaks volumes to Dak Prescott, but outside of that, this also extrapolates my fear about this Cowboys defense that have now been pretty easily dismantled two weeks in a row they were playing against obviously two offensives that are high caliber offenses in the mm-hmm. NFL but if you want to be the Cowboys team that they're expecting to be their defense needs to step up their game yeah I agree we can move forward to the Sunday night football matchup the Seahawks yeah. Patriot and I think it's arguably the best game best football game that's that's been on so far at least in prime time i would say and i'm not really sure if one team is substantially better than the other i think i would probably lean seahawks but i don't think there is there is much shown where i'm like they are leaps and bounds better than than the patriots and yeah i I think go ahead though that the the seahawks though what i the two things i definitely learned is the seahawks they're a team to watch for sure uh they're going to be a team to watch and the other thing on the patriots side is the patriots are fine uh, they're fine. They're, they're not going to regress a ton, of, at least so far from what we've seen. They're, they were able – we questioned it when they played the Dolphins last week. But this week, they, they showed that they can compete. So, I think they'll be fine this year. We go ahead, Mark. Yeah. Um, first off, I agree. I think that's the best game of the season thus far. Those were two great coaches going at it. I thought there were moments where Pete Carroll made coaching mistakes or coaching decision mistakes that could have put the game a little early, away a little earlier. I think right now – the Seahawks are significantly a better team, I think. But come week 16, week 17, this very much is neck and neck and could end up being a close game again if they played each other at that time. It got close this time around, but I think that was partially Pete Carroll's fault. Um, a couple of takeaways I had. First off, DK Metcalf 
bullied Stefan Gilmore. He had yeah. several moments where he beat Gilmore, and I was impressed. Um, also, I'm just looking at the stat line right now. I didn't even notice it last night. Julian Edelman had 179 receiving yards. That's incredible. And outside of that, all those things, I think the biggest takeaway from this game is that Cam Newton can do it. Yeah. Cam Newton can sling the ball around. 397 yards. He can, he can play. He can play Bill Belichick's offense. This Patriots team can beat anybody. And they almost beat the Seahawks last night. Just, I mean, it was one bad, poor decision by Belichick to make that play call. And it even could have worked if the execution was a little better. This is a good football team. I would not ever want to play them. And they could, I hate to say it, they could challenge, uh, I think they could challenge the Ravens. I'd have to see if their defense can handle the Chiefs. But I think they could definitely challenge the Ravens. I I would agree with you. I think they can challenge teams. I think it's going to – I don't think they're going to blow teams out, good teams out. They're not substantially no, no. better than any team like that out there. But I, I do think they can definitely challenge teams, and they're going to be in games. And it's it's the question now is, like, why weren't there more calls for Cam Newton? Why Obviously, it's easy to look back now and be like, hey, why aren't people making that call for Cam? for cam to be their their starting qb there's there's teams out there that need a better starting quarterback and none of them went for cam newton and i think sadly if cam plays this way this year he's there's a chance that what if he ends what if he's happy in new england Mm -hmm. and he's willing not to get paid way more money somewhere else but decides to actually stay in the patriots and take a pay cut like tom brady did for so many years yeah i think the there's two parts to this wonder. The first is why didn't anyone take him? And I think the reason why was people were concerned about his injuries and if he was going to be healthy and if he's going to perform again. But then you get to how did no one pull the trigger if the asking price is going to be what the Patriots got him for? Mm-hmm. Like you gotta, like you gotta think that someone would be able, would be willing to put a little more money in and risk it if Cam Newton pans out but the Patriots got him for chump change and they are benefiting drastically from it. Like, Holy cow. Like this is, this is a high performing quarterback right now. And they're paying him. They're they're pulling $3 out of their pocket and throwing it at him. Like, geez, this is crazy. It's such a Patriots thing to happen and they're benefiting a lot from it. And I think this was the best thing for new England and it's also the best thing for Cam Newton to fall into this team where he has a coach who is able to re- reimagine his offense and reimagine it very well with Cam Newton in mind because they looked very good last night. And, I mean, it, look out. That's really all I could say. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a team to look out for. And the, the team, honestly, if they didn't sign Cam, wouldn't be what they are right now. Yeah. Nowhere close. But on the, on the Seahawks side, I mean, so far, Russell Wilson, second in QBR, fifth in pass yards, second yards per attempt, first in touchdowns, and first in passer rating. And, and he shouldn't have an interception this season. No, he, he shouldn't at all. And the thing is, if he keeps this up, I mean, obviously – it's really early to talk about MVP. I've seen, you know, there was a big conversation during the game that he hasn't had an MVP vote. Mm-hmm. But I think this is obviously every year for the Seahawks is very dependent on Russell Wilson. 
But if Russell Wilson can play like this the entire season, I think we're, we're changing the discussion of how far they can make it in the playoffs. Because if he played what he did last year, which is, which is great, it's, it's mm-hmm. good QB, top five QB, but it's not enough to take the Seahawks over the hump and send them to another Super Bowl possibly. Yeah, I don't know. I was very pro Russ for MVP last year. I ended up falling into the Lamar Jackson train, but I thought it shouldn't have been unanimous. I didn't I thought Russ deserved some votes last year, but I guess the Lamar Jackson was just so electric last year that not a single person in their right in their right heart could not vote for him. But I mean I, I, you got to start it. You got to start the talk. You're going to have a lot of players who are going to be in that conversation right now. And then some are going to fall off and others are going to pop in as the season goes on. I think right now though, Russell Wilson's got to be your front runner with Aaron Rodgers again, Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. slinging the ball a ton again uh, today or yesterday had some Aaron Jones help, but overall, I feel like you got to, you got to say that at this moment, after two weeks, Russell Wilson is your guy. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. And I think, especially with those 49ers injuries, I think the Seahawks have a good chance to win their division. I know we, we've seen the, the Cardinals play well this year. And honestly, the Broncos have played pretty well. I don't think they're going to be able to compete much, especially with their injuries. The Rams, the Rams sorry. My, yeah, yeah, you're the good. Rams. You're good. Um, but the Rams have done very well overall. And the NFC West, West, it's uh, four teams are collective seven and one, with the only loss from a divisional game between the 49ers and Cardinals. Yeah, and I know, and I know, Mark, you paid attention to the Cardinals Washington game a good amount. What were, what were some things you saw? I know it was in a super exciting game, the Washington football team didn't stick around very mm-hmm. much at all. But I guess, what were some things that stood out for you from that game? Well, I mean. This was the game that I definitely was, you know, taking my notes on, doing my sort of analysis of sorts. And although it wasn't the most exciting game, I learned, I felt like I learned a lot about these two teams. And on top of that, we want to talk about MVP candidates. If Kyler Murray can keep this up and get better as the year goes on, he could potentially fall into that race, especially if they can knock off the Seahawks once or twice this season. But anyway, going through my notes here, I just kind of put, put down some bullet points throughout the game while I was watching And the biggest thing for me was going in, we were talking about how the Washington football team's O-line was going to do against the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. But ultimately, I thought the story of the day was the Cardinals' pass rush. I thought they harassed Dwayne Haskins for about three quarters, I would say, three three and a half, three quarters of, of football. They harassed Dwayne Haskins. They were forcing him to make quick decisions. And I thought that was the main difference in this game as far as why the, the football team was not able to keep up. They did really well, and I would continue to keep an eye out on if they could continue to do that throughout the season. Secondly, a takeaway, and I know this is something people knew, but I figured – it's worth talking about a little bit. The Cliff Kingsbury offense is just different. The way they draw designs, the way their plays are run is just brilliant. They use some amazing picks, some shifts, the way they run the ball, the way they pass the ball. It is all so well, well drawn out where these routes are made to and are, and are catered towards each individual receiver's strengths. And it results in making Kyler Murray's job really easy. And that was something I thought was 
something. If you ever watch them, it just looks like a different brand of football. And I wouldn't say it looks college-y either because it's way too, way too smart because you can't expect college players to have the, uh, the capability to pull off some of these things. These are high football IQ plays, and these receivers are, are great. And then outside of that, the way the Cardinals avoided, for the most part, this Washington D-line was through quick-release plays. They used rollouts. They used pick plays. They made it so Kyler Murray did not have to hold on to the ball really long. He was doing a lot of slant routes, a lot of in routes to D-hop, to Larry Fitzgerald, to Christian Kirk. These guys all just make it quick cuts, quick picks, and it resulted. And although pressure was there, they just got the ball out so fast that the D-line couldn't get to them. Outside of that, um, I'd say the Washington, the Cardinals, sorry, the Cardinals wide receivers bullied Washington's corners. The corners were outmatched by Larry Fitzgerald. They were outmatched by D hop. They were outmatched by Christian Kirk, who had a great game. Um, they, they're going to need help this, this entire season. They're going to need to rely on their D line to do all the damage and make them look better because they are not great. Um, I would say that the Cardinals O-line struggled on run plays and when it wasn't a quick pick play and you saw that D line get there. So that was definitely still a concern for Arizona going forward. Uh, outside of that, Kyler Murray, I had a, I had a note. He's far from perfect. Kyler Murray is still has some passes that he misses. He still misses some reads. There are times where he makes mistakes, but he still also has moments where he just slings that ball in there really well. The way he runs the ball is just electric. And if he continues to do that and get better with his accuracy and not just being as erratic, he will be in the MVP race this season. And on top of that, though, one thing that astounded me about this Cardinals offense, I'm going to continue to rave about them because this, these were the things I took away, is when Kyler Murray runs, his offense is so in sync with him. He's got blockers everywhere he's going when he runs down the field. And they know... What, it's almost like they have this hive mind where they know what Kyler Murray is going to decide in his head when he's running. And by the time he makes that cut, there's already a guy there making another block. It was wonderful to watch. Every time Kyler Murray ran, you saw someone in his vicinity making a block on a guy, keeping Kyler untouched. So then he only had to cut by one or two guys where he could have been tackled. They, that, that makes him look really good. And that's something that credit to the wide receivers. Once again, credit to Cliff Kingsbury. That is, that's awesome. Uh, I got two more notes and these are more, uh, or these next two are more red, uh, not Washington football team oriented. And that's first off, Terry McLaurin is so good. His route running is great. And you know, a wide receiver is awesome. When he gets several catches, he got 125 yards today. And you don't always realize why he is doing so well. Route running, he made some great cuts. He's fast. He had a great touchdown. That guy, you, you want to build around him. You want to give him some help. So then when he's getting double covered, you have help elsewhere because he is a number one receiver. Outside of that, Dwayne Haskins, as the game went on, I thought got a lot better. I think he's a very composed quarterback. I think he did well, even though he had pressure in his face a lot of this game. He, he had some poor throws. He made some mistakes. He's, he's not fantastic, but I like how composed he is and how mature he is in the pocket. And he makes some good throws. He makes some tight passes. I think the Reds, the, the football team, <laughs> the football team could get around him. I think they could, they could build around this guy. I don't think it's someone you want to desert just yet. 
And then last but not least, going back to the Cardinals, they need to be a little more disciplined. They had a lot of penalties that really kept Washington in the football game late. And if they could fix up on that, then this team's going to be pretty good. Those were my main takeaways from that game, from watching it. I know we always knew that the wide receiving core was going to be great in Washington or in Arizona, but they're great in so many more ways than I had imagined. They're so good at blocking. They're so good at their routes. They are awesome at understanding what Kyler Murray is going to do when he runs with the ball. It's just, they're a sight to behold. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting to see where the Cardinals finish this year, because I mean, with the 49ers injury, I know we've mentioned it earlier in this podcast, but I think it's going to play huge in the NFC West and, but it's still a very, very difficult division, but I think they're making the jump. It seems mm-hmm. like when I was tuning in every once in a while, that they, they seem like they're starting to make the jump. Uh, Kyler Murray's making a year or two jump and that's good. And they're getting used to the offense. I mean, Hopkins is there to stay. Whether Larry yeah. Fitzgerald is his final year, who knows? Because every year it feels like it should be his final year, but he keeps on going. But I, I agree. I think this Cardinals team, maybe not this year, is there, but in the coming years is going to be a team to reckon with. Yeah. We're going to take a break, a quick one, and we'll be right back after this break. Have you ever wondered why everyone and their mother seems like they have a podcast today? Well, that's probably because there's over a million podcasts a day alone, and it continues to grow every single day. And you've probably wondered, how do I start a podcast? And you've probably thought, it's too expensive, I don't have the equipment, it'll be too difficult, I just can't do it. Well, let me tell you, you're wrong. There's a platform called Anchor, and it's the simplest way to make a podcast. And I did some light background research for you. First off, it's free. There's creations tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R. .fm to get started. And we are back with First and Moose. I thought we could go into the Chargers Chiefs. It was Justin Herbert's debut. None of us expected it. He didn't expect it. He thought Anthony Lynn was joking when he told him he was starting. <laughs> so that Obviously, we thought eventually he would take over and they were going to be a slow progression into it, but I thought he looked good. I thought that he had mistakes. His interception was his interception was bad. He should have ran for the first down. But he is kind of that guy where he looked good in moments and then looked bad in moments. But I don't know what else you expect, especially since he's not expecting on playing that day. The offense wasn't didn't plan for him. But I think the the question I really have, Mark, is that can they go back to Tyrod Taylor or should they just let Justin Herbert play? I mean, he kept them in the game, did fine. And the Chiefs didn't play really well at all. But I mean, I feel like it's difficult to go back to Tyrod Taylor when Justin Herbert did fine and you might as well let him progress some. Yeah. I, Justin Herbert looked really composed. I thought he looked really comfortable out there. He didn't look out of place. He made mistakes. Yeah. But 
I, I don't know how you go back. Tyrod Taylor is such a black quarterback that he, he's so uninspiring to watch. I don't understand why you go with him. He couldn't score. He struggled to score against the Bengals. And Justin Herbert went out there and looked pretty great at times uh, against Kansas City. And that's a much better defense. And that's a much bigger game. But I do have one question for you because this was kind of my thought on the whole thing. Because when I first heard that he didn't know he was starting, he came in and just had to play and did well, I was really impressed. But then I kind of thought about it for a little bit. Picture this. You're a rookie quarterback in the NFL. You're like the fifth overall pick. You got a lot of pressure on you. Do you think you have more nerves being told the day of that you're playing or being told the week before you have to play and you have to stew over the fact that you have to play and you're the starter and they're relying on you for a whole week as opposed to just having maybe an hour to, to think about that fact? Because I don't know. I almost feel like he had less pressure going into this because – you know, Tyrod was hurt. I mean, that sucks. You're, gonna, you're just getting thrown in the fire. We'll see what happens. You know, do your best. There's not as much consequence. And I don't know. I think that might have helped Herbert because obviously he prepared all week. He studied. He seems to be a good guy, a good locker room presence. So he, was, he knew what was going to happen in the game. And then he doesn't have to think about the fact all week, like, oh, shoot. This is my first game. They're counting on me. I'm nervous. Instead, you just get thrown right in, and you're like, all right, well, you know, if I mess up, you know, I, I didn't – I mess up. It's whatever. But I don't know. I, do you kind of feel the same way about that? Because that's kind of my thought process after thinking about it for a little bit. I agree with you, Mark. I think that being thrown into it definitely helped him. I mean, even looking at QBs that have been a long time, I mean, Big Ben was saying that he's – was his most nervous as ever going to this season because mm-hmm. he had plenty of time to think about it and the expectations are there for the Steelers this year. And I, and I feel like that's, you're correct. I, and I believe that Anthony Lynn was quoted saying that this was probably better. Someone was quoted about mm-hmm. saying that this was better for Herbert, that he didn't have time to think about that. He was kind of just thrown in. Just let and it go I mean, in and play football. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just go play football. It's, it's going to be a weird one. And honestly, they, they did well overall. So I don't, I don't see them. It doesn't make sense to go back to Tyrod Taylor. And, I mean, I hope they don't. It, I don't understand why they would because, I mean, they're eventually going to hand it back to Justin Herbert. Yeah. And it's, nothing was scary enough not to give it to him now. Yeah, so. and, I mean, you've got the confidence right now. Yeah, they didn't win, but he played a pretty good game. Yeah, he had his mistakes, like you said. But if you were worried about him coming in and not being confident in himself and not having that arrogance that a quarterback needs then how are you going to make that happen in the future after he's been sitting on the bench again Uh, he's going to sit and think you know what did I do wrong like I lost the game I guess but I mean did you see how Tyrod Taylor did against Cincinnati they he didn't do anything much to win that game for them I don't know I, I just feel like this is the prime time to do it I was always really a doubter of Justin Herbert, but he may have changed my mind uh, on Sunday given the way he performed. Yeah, I, I think they have to go with him, and I, I hope they make the right decision, but who knows with Anthony Lynn in charge of that team. But the next, the next two games, I have one player tied to both of these games, is Stephon Diggs. The Bills are 2-0, the Vikings are 0-2, and I'm, I'm sure Stephon Diggs knows that. And it just seems like Stephon Diggs has helped the Bills offense a lot. It seems like he's kind of helped Josh Allen unlock the offense and uh, 
you know, you got John Brown in there, and he, he's a good wide receiver, but I don't think he's a wide receiver one, but I think a wide receiver two, he's a phenomenal wide receiver two. And then I know you paid attention to that Vikings-Colts game, and I paid attention to the Vikings game earlier because they're playing the Vikings week one. And it seems like they're missing Stephon Diggs, to yeah, be honest with definitely. you. Yeah, definitely. And I know definitely. it's deeper than that with their issues, but, I mean, Diggs seems like he matters a lot to both these teams. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, Stephon Diggs had another fantastic game uh, on, sa- on Sunday. Sorry, he had 153 yards and eight catches. And Josh Allen was bombing the ball to him. He was sending it deep. He was, he was sending flyers. And he had 13 targets. This guy is getting a lot of attention in Buffalo. And it's resulting in guys like Cole Beasley and John Brown to get – Cole Beasley had 70 yards and John Brown had 82 they would not have that kind of success without Stefan Diggs there. And they're efficient too. That's just six targets for each of them. And they're getting that kind of yardage. That's fantastic. You got, he has definitely evolved this Bills offense and given them another level that makes them a lot more dangerous. And the Vikings have now downgraded a level because the Colts and the Packers just had to worry about Adam Thielen, who, yeah, he'll make plays. He'll do well. He did much better week one than he did week two. And every other player, though, now has more attention put on them. I mean, you got to think. that could This could be a huge trade acquisition for these uh, two sides. Yeah, the Vikings got a first-round pick out of it. But this could be huge for Buffalo. And... I mean, you gotta love what's happened here for Stefan Diggs. Like that's he's he's living life. He's enjoying it right now. He's he is getting the attention he wanted and he's getting it on a good football team. And I mean, I'd be happy. Yeah, I, I think it's crazy how much so far, obviously, it could be a little bit of an overreaction. We're only two weeks in, but it seems like it's affecting both teams mm-hmm. a lot. And I don't think generally I'm not huge on like a wide receiver completely changes the team. But I think Stefan Diggs has changed both these teams' dynamic. And I think the person that's hurting the most on the Vikings side, I think it's Dalvin Cook because yeah. he hasn't had very good games. I think it's just because defenses are able to load the box. I mean, you used to have to worry about Thielen and Diggs, and now you're only worrying about Thielen. I think that's, yeah. a, that's a huge difference, and it hurts the Vikings' running game, and that's what Zimmer wants to do. Yeah, I mean, in the past – like now you can load up the box, have one corner on Thielen and then have like a linebacker and a safety. Like you have a linebacker for a Thielen cuts inside and a safety. If the feeling goes up the field, you couldn't do that when you had digs and Thielen on the field, because you couldn't have that many players thinking about pass coverage when you were trying to stop Dalvin cook. But now you only have to think about Adam Thielen and that's, that definitely downgrades Dalvin Cook because now he has a much taller order ahead of him. And if I'm the Vikings, you got to figure out a different way to get the ball in the air if you want to help Dalvin Cook out. Because as of right now, their two dimensions of offense are both significantly weaker because that threat, that dual threat of Diggs Thielen is no longer there. And I guess getting away from the Diggs narrative. The Vikings-Colts game, how did the, the Colts look to you? Do you think they, they bounce back, or do you think the Vikings are just not going to be as good of a team as, as we're expecting? 
Um, I would say it's probably a little bit of both. The Vikings definitely struggled. Uh, I'd say that Kirk Cousins did not look good uh, on Sunday. And I think the Colts, though, looked a lot more like the Colts team I was expecting to see out of them this season. The Colts controlled the pace of the game the entire game. This was a Colts football game. And if you're going to play the Colts and it's going to play in the Colts style, you got you to gotta think Indianapolis likes their odds there. Did a ton of running, then ran some quick plays in the passing game with Phillip Rivers. Things were clicking on offense. The only thing I'd say is that the Vikings red zone defense saved them on several occasions that could have made this game a lot more of a blowout. There are several field goals in the red zone. Rodrigo Blankenship, though credit to him, was four for four on the day. Almost all of those were within scoring different distance, and the Colts could have run up the score here. That would be my one concern for an Indy is just making sure they learn how to finish on drives. But Minnesota, they looked they looked out of sorts. They were struggling, and I think that there's a lot of concern there for a Vikings team going forward. I mean, you want to look at their upcoming schedule. They got the Titans, Texans, Seahawks. None of those teams are – Going to the, the, none of those teams are arguably that much worse than the Colts, if even worse than the Colts. So it doesn't get much better for them throughout the season. It's a tough schedule, and they need to fix their act quickly, or else they're going to start in a very, very bad place. Yeah, that's that's a difficult schedule coming coming up, and I think that's gonna be it's gonna be tough for the Vikings for sure. But mm-hmm. the game I watched closely was the Broncos Steelers game and it was a weird game to watch close because Drew Locke went out so early mm-hmm. in the game and it, it kind of was like man like what what do you take away from this scenario about two teams that at least on the Broncos side is like well this completely changes their outlook on this season and with Cortland Sutton being out now is is another another game changer but I think the the thing is I just feel bad for Denver because I think it's a year where you're expecting Drew Locke overall to grow and you know you don't they're in a difficult division so it's it's not necessarily like playoff or it's a bus season but I, I think they were they looked good even without Drew Locke it was kind of shocking to me how good they looked and I, I think the future is bright overall for them I don't think it's going to be their year they're going to lose close games but I think they'll be in games especially if Drew Locke is able to come back eventually and and help them out because the defense looks good I know they miss Vaughn Miller and now they're missing Sutton and Drew Locke but I don't think it's the worst thing that these maybe they get a higher pick than they're expecting but I mean the the con of it is that you're just not getting Drew Locke to grow as much as you wanted Mm -hmm. uh so that's that's definitely the difficult thing for for the Broncos, but on the Pittsburgh side, I think we all know the the defense is elite. We know it's a very good defense. It'll probably be a top five defense. I know they haven't played like offensive powerhouses in their first two weeks, but it's a good defense. It causes turnovers, a lot of turnovers. It gets pressure on the quarterback and it, under duress. But my thing is, is that. I think the offense of the Steelers needs to step up just a tiny bit, not a ton, especially if the defense is playing like this the entire season. But, but right now I don't think that offense is going to do it. And I know there are so many players coming back from injury and struggle some seasons the year before. So it's going to, 
you got to give them some grace and some time to be able to grow in Big Ben to get back into it. He's not looked off or anything, and the offense has looked okay, but I don't think it's a good enough offense at the moment to be able to compete with the Ravens. And that's really where my worry comes for them. Is their defense good enough? It will be good enough to keep them in games, but there's, there's times where defenses just have bad days. And I'm not sure at the moment that I believe the Steelers' offense can bear the load if the Steelers' defense is yeah. not having a good day. And that's overall my, my biggest question for them is, is Big Ben eventually going to get back into form. And I think we have time to let him do that. I don't think it's like a, he needs to be in form now. But overall, I think the Steelers are a very boring, good team. I don't think they're going to be exciting to watch this year by any means. I think they're just going to be a boring, good team overall. Yeah, I mean, I think there is reason to be concerned about this offense, given that two of their scores and two of their pieces of offense were a 59-yard touchdown and an 84-yard touchdown. Like, if you take that away, there's not a lot of yardage going around on this team. you got to be concerned in that regard. Um, But I think you're right. Unless their offense can step up, they will just be a boringly good team that people won't want to watch play too often. So uh, sorry you had to watch that, but uh, <laughs> I think it's still interesting to to look into and and learn about this team because both these teams did have some question marks. We didn't really know how good these two teams were going to be this season, even if I was high on the Steelers going into the year. I'll uh, we'll see if that improves, though. Yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely. I think it's it's on the offense for the the ceiling of the Steelers team, and I think honestly, after seeing the Broncos, I I don't know, but because it's it's going to be very dependent on Locke and if he's able to come back, but their future's bright, so that's something Broncos fans can take comfort in. But moving forward, the Ravens Texans game, I don't think there's huge things to think about. I know we mentioned earlier the Texans have just dealt have been dealt a bad hand. And uh, basically, my thoughts are the Ravens are competing for a Super Bowl and the Texans aren't. That's, that's the difference from these two teams. But did you have any thoughts from, from this game, Mark? No, this was about what everyone would have anticipated it to be. Once again, Deshaun Watson did everything he could to avoid sacks, had some miracle plays where he avoided pressure, and then had to turn around and throw it away or step out of bounds for a two-yard gain. This guy needs help, and I don't think there's too much to that narrative that's changed between week one and week two. There are going to be games where he takes over and beats poorer teams, but whenever they go against a good team with a good defense, this team is going to struggle significantly. And for the Ravens, they can win in so many ways. And next week, they play the Chiefs on Monday Night Football. Look out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be something for sure. It's going to be a great Monday Night Football oh, so excited. game. And we've we've got a good Monday night football to game which to talk about tonight. It's it's I think it's pretty good overall. It's better than our first Monday night football game. So we can I guess do a small little preview towards the end. But a couple more games. There's the the latter half that I have left here is it's nothing spectacular, no games that really stood out compared to the ones we've been talking about. But the Packers-Lions game, the Packers look better this year. I think they have more options than, honestly, I was expecting. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scanling seems like he's going to be a real threat on the offense. And Alan Zard seems like he's stepping up overall. And I think the thing is, is you know, Aaron Rodgers didn't light it up like the, the previous week. But it's because they were doubling Devontae Adams a lot through the game. And they weren't 
loading the box. So it gave Aaron Jones the game he had, and he had an amazing game. So I think that thing there is is that they're more dual threat than they're expecting. It seems like the offense is making a jump when a lot of people didn't expect that. But the biggest thing is the Lions. They, they're up 14-3 at one point. And, I mean, we've talked about it before, but Matt Patricia's got to do better. And if he continues to do poorly, I mean, I know we don't think he deserves to be there, but I think if a couple more games in and he's not winning the games he should win, I think people are going to be calling for his job pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, the way it looks right now, if they continue at this rate, Patricia's on the highway to losing his job before the season even ends with how poorly it's going. You got too much talent on this team for them to look this bad. It's okay that you lose to the Packers, but that was embarrassing, especially with the precedent that you blew it last week as well. And the the last one I want to talk about before we go into the game, or if you have any more games that are very, very big, but the mm-hmm. Jaguars-Titans game. Gardner Minshew, is he going to be able to actually keep this Jaguars team in games? Are they going to compete? Like, it's my question. Is like, is this, this going to be something week in, week out, where they actually cause other teams, like, some struggles? Like, is this a thing that we expect every week for them to be losing, like, one-possession games? Or is this, or is this just a week-to-week mishap in the beginning and then they'll uh, – not do as well for the rest of the season i'd like to see how he plays when the jaguars are not against a divisional opponent because obviously divisional games are really weird and we'll get the chance to see that in a very winnable game on thursday night against miami that's a game you can win especially with how you have looked thus far i think gardner Minshew is a pretty good quarterback i think that he deserves more credit than sometimes he gets and there was some talent on this roster. And I think the biggest example of that is the outbreak of James Robinson at running back. I think that obviously we didn't think there was anybody to fill in Leonard Fournette's spot, but this guy's come in and done fantastically. This Jaguars offense is pretty good. And the pieces on defense, they're all really young and they're showing that they can make plays. And CJ Henderson has been fantastic as a cornerback. And you can't really count this team out of any game it looks like right now. Until, until the blowouts start happening, this is a team you got to be careful about when you play them. I mean, as the year goes on, that Colts loss week one may not look as bad as we thought coming into the season. These guys, these guys are feisty. And I'll be curious to see if that sort of feisty nature is in them when they're not playing a divisional rival. Because we all know that divisional games, they're, they're played under different rules. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I think the biggest thing is I thought they had a chance of being one the worst team in the NFL, and it looks like they're not. It looks like it could be the Jets. I mean, this is surprising that the Jets would be the worst team, but I think it's surprising that the Jaguars won't be a bottom three team at the moment. Yeah. Were, there um, other, were there any other games, Mark, you had that stood out to you or anything that you took away from Sunday? Um, there's one other game that I took something away from and that's Eagles fans should be really concerned. They looked bad. They are, they do not look like a good football team. Carson Wentz is a little better than last week. The O-line was a little better than last week, but the game wasn't even as close as the score indicates. The Rams team were leagues better than the Eagles. And we're talking about the 49ers injuries. If it weren't for that, the worst team in the NFC West is more than likely better than the team that's going to win the NFC East. 
and that's concerning <laughs> as far as parody it's, it's is concerned. It's it's true. And so this Rams team, they look pretty stellar. I would say after two games, they have looked good in both of them. But the Eagles, this is a bad football team right now. And I'm not going to be really picking. I'm not going to be favoring them in a lot of matchups, which is pretty concerning for this roster. I know. I, I ended up picking them Sunday on First and Moose Live. And it, it was a mistake, obviously, because I thought maybe it was be one of these years where they – they have good weeks and bad weeks, but now I think after them hurting me and, and showing such a dud of a game, I don't think I'm – I think it's going to be hard to pick them against most matchups like you're, like you're saying. And I think the Rams, looks like there's a chance they're going to be able to bounce back this year. I mean, they have, they have tons of talent on their team. But yeah. before we go, we can do a, a small little preview. If you're listening to the podcast, it'll, it'll make sense if you're listening it to Monday before the Monday Night Football game. But if you're catching us on the radio from 10 to 11 on Tuesday, it might not make sense. We might look really smart or we might look really dumb. <laughs> so who knows? But what, what are some things you're looking forward to in this Saints-Raiders matchup? What? I think this game comes down to if Alvin Kamara can step up. This defensive linebacking core – for the Raiders is well, we'll see if they can step up and get it done because that's a little bit concerning. The Saints need to look better than they did last week in the passing game as well. I think this game could be really tight and really exciting. And quite frankly, I'm almost favoring the Raiders at home. Like that's, I, I kind of think that they might pull off an upset here. I think that'd be really cool, it, but it comes down to can they stop Alvin Kamara because I think that's going to be the key to the game. If Kamara can get going, the Saints should be fine. If he can't, then this game is wide open, and it's going to leave the Saints' defense to try to stop Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, and some good receiving pieces. Um, who knows? Th this one might end up being really, really good. I, I think it definitely has a chance to be really, really good. I think you're right. I think it's going to be very dependent on Alvin Kamara stepping up. I mean, he just got a huge extension, so mm -hmm. they paid him a lot. They got to expect him to stamp up, to step up. But do you expect anything from Emmanuel Sanders to be able to fill in a role? I don't think, obviously, he can't fill in the role of Michael Thomas, but can he do it a tiny bit? I don't think he can be anything like Michael Thomas. I think Emmanuel Sanders is going to look a lot better when Michael Thomas is back. Uh, he's not a number one guy. Um, I would expect them to look towards – uh, Deontay Harris a lot more in this game. He looked really good week one against the Buccaneers. And I think that's the guy you're going to want to hope does have a good game. Uh, I guess technically it's tonight if you're hearing this on Monday. Yeah. So that's going to, that's going to do it for our reaction pod to NFL week two. It was fun. And we both looked smarter this week. You only yeah. <laughs> mispicked one. I mispicked three, but I mean, we looked better than we did last week. So, obviously, it's, it's a place to tune in. We, we know what we're obviously talking about. We know about. our stuff. Yeah. So, that's it. If you're listening on the air, it's been UnitedToTheMoose.com on 91.7 FM or on any podcast platform you can find. We will catch you guys next week. Peace.